GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. The Strait of Gibraltar Association Trust has teamed up with the Caring for Gibraltar charity to deliver a relief effort to those affected by the devastating earthquake in the mountains around Marrakesh, which claimed the lives of nearly 3,000 people last month. They volunteered on a relief mission to track down isolated communities and find out what they needed in the midst of the destruction. It was a pleasure to speak to Charlie, Jane and Kevin, who said that their efforts were led by their hearts. But we start this podcast discussing the latest from the McGrail Inquiry, which is looking at the circumstances surrounding the early retirement of the former police commissioner, Ian McGrail. The fifth preliminary hearing at the Garrison Library has focused on the Attorney General's decision to discontinue a prosecution in January 2022. And the question it's asking is whether this should be examined in detail in the main hearing of the inquiry. I was at the Garrison Library with my colleague, Jonathan Sacramento. You'll recall that in January 2022, the Attorney General entered a noli prosecchi, a discontinuation of the case against Cornelio et al. And what the inquiry is considering today is whether this decision, this discontinuation of criminal proceedings, is something that the inquiry should have as part of its main hearing and whether it should hear an explanation from the Attorney General as to why he took the decision that he did. And so uh, lawyers are today discussing uh, whether that should be something that should be included in the main hearing. And we're hearing their submissions today and the judge will, will consider this. Ian McGrail's lawyer Adam Wagner's evidence is that the Chief Minister triggered and then directed the events that forced Ian McGrail to take early retirement. Mr Wagner claims Mr Picardo himself was potentially implicated in Operation Delhi, a police operation in which a business associate of his was a key suspect and that therefore there was motive to protect himself from personal and political danger. Mr McGrail's lawyer claims the Attorney General played a key enabling role and acted on instruction of the Chief Minister. Their claim is therefore that the nolle prosequi is plainly relevant to the inquiry. Appearing for the Chief Minister, the Attorney-General and the Government, Sir Peter Caruana said that the Attorney-General Michael Jamas has already given evidence on oath and to treat the sworn evidence of a serving Attorney-General with scepticism without justification is wholly inappropriate. Sir Peter said that the Attorney-General will not answer any questions regarding the discontinuance of the trial unless ordered to do so by a court of final recourse. The inquiry's counsel, Julian Santos, said the Attorney-General has also said that he is willing to give the reasons for the nolle to the inquiry's chairperson on a confidential basis. The hearing continues. On Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. We're going to spend uh, a considerable amount of time now discussing 
earthquake relief efforts coordinated from Gibraltar. And it's my pleasure to welcome to the studio Charlie Bishop from the Strait of Gibraltar Association. Good afternoon, Charlie. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to Jane Wink from the charity Caring for Gibraltar. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us, Jane. And uh, good afternoon also to Kevin uh, who Kevin Barodi, who is joining us. He helped provide the 4x4 vehicles uh, to access those hard-to-reach areas. Uh, lovely to have you, Kevin, as well. El Salsa, for, yes. uh, for your friends. Mr. Sauce, Mr. Sauce. In Morocco over there, when we were in the village, I said to Mr. Salsa, but in Arabic, Sharmila. I didn't say that, the poor women. Well, uh, I suppose it's important to keep a sense of humour when there's uh, such a difficult situation facing so many thousands of people. Um, Charlie, let's start with you. How, how, how do you get involved in the earthquake response and, and tell us a bit about how you you know your first thoughts and, and how you acted yeah. on them obviously it was uh, very sad to hear that there'd been an earthquake and jane as leader of caring for gibraltar uh, of which i'm a, t- a team member of um decided she wanted to try and do something and help out there and we're also trustees of straits of gibraltar association so we told them that we wanted to go and uh, we wanted to fundraise, obviously, and um, see if we could uh, uh, deliver some stuff there and help out people. At the same time, um, the Straits of Gibraltar Association put us in contact with EEAI, which is an agency uh, who have experience in doing medical work in, in uh, disaster zones. That they they as, sort of specialise in the disaster response. They, hmm? Yeah, so they decided they wanted to team up with us, so we fundraised to go on a mission together. Um, their mission was really, to, I think, was slightly different to ours, but we helped them in the sense that because we were able to get four, two 4 by 4s from Bassadoni Motors, plus we had Kevin's... Uh, own personal 4x4 and we had Gibraltar Extreme 4x4 who also brought our own uh, one of their own 4x4s with two drivers as well and we, we used them both and they were both very useful Fabian and Adam and um, so because we had four 4x4s um, other agencies wanted to work with us because actually they didn't have any 4x4s at the base camp where we were um, so because we had that, we were able to collaborate with a German NGO and they were able to take us to places they had identified, communities up in the mountains. And uh, we were able to also be able to transport some of the materials that they had that they weren't able to transport. They had an ambulance and a van, but they didn't have 4 by 4s And in fact, in one of the occasions, we actually had to use one of our 4 by 4s to pull the ambulance and the van up along certain roads. And these are 4 by 4s that have been donated by... Well, um, Basadonis have lent them to us and we, we've we handed them back already, but we will be needing them, one of them, again, on November the 3rd when we go back for our second part, which we'll be telling you about a bit later. Okay. Um, so the communities that were hardest hit by, by the earthquake were communities up in the Atlas Mountains. They were very isolated and their homes were built on mountainsides and many had actually crumbled because they're made uh, of mud. They're not particularly good building materials. So you can imagine very steep slopes, earthquake happening, houses crumbling. And as I've mentioned, the people who've loaned us the vehicles, thanks to them, we were able to cooperate with other um, NGOs. Uh, those communities had been accessed by the government. The roads were clear, 
But I have to emphasize that it's not easy. They're way up there. It's difficult for people to actually come down to a base camp. Mm -hmm. um, it was a quite precarious precarious in the sense that on the right-hand side as you were going up you had a steep drop into ravines and on the left-hand side you had a, a steep mountain side where which was made up of really rocks and boulders and stones and the actual road itself was just a very um, dusty track with loads of stones in the way and uh, so on. Uh, so th this is how far Whilst you're doing it you feel quite exhilarated because of, you know you, you're actually thinking I'm doing something good but at the same time, there's that adrenaline pumping, you know, where I felt, yeah, I felt I was alive, you know, I was, we were going along that mountain ranges and I... Well, the adrenaline, yeah. <laughs> See, the adrenaline hit, hey. it, was, uh, it was a very sorry. good experience in that sense, you know. Um, uh, as, as Charlie mentions, we went up the Atlas Mountains and many of the trails there are uh, very unstable. And most of the damage was caused by the earthquake in, and were located in remote villages. And this we, we managed, was, it was really, really difficult for us. Uh, the remote, the earthquake struck villages and uh, there was a lot of traffic snarl-ups between, um, which in the roads, poor visibility. Remember that a lot of dust and lots of rock falls. So eight convoys in the middle of the road. And as you can see, a great challenge awaits these villagers because we the, snow, the winter is coming. So rebuilding the lives of those once called this ruins home is going to be hard. How many are they? There are about... How many villagers do you reckon there, will, there, there is, uh, Kevin? Loads, loads, because it's all... Uh, we ended up on the top village that was most affected on the on the disaster. But yeah, from there onwards, it was all trails through the mountains. We visited four or five. I think we got in touch yeah. with with four or five communities. Is I wouldn't call them villages because a village suggests that there's a village shop, that there's a post office, but it's not that. They're just like communities, like houses built together. Maybe on in one spot there was twenty houses on a mountainside, then in another. When you went round the corner or went along the road, there'd be another 30 or 40 together. Many of them were actually crumbled. People had died in those places. And where the actual tenants were, they were camping in tents given to them by their government. Uh, but they had to find flats, pieces of land to camp on. And up there, it's very difficult. In fact, most of the time, they were either camping in the flat bits where they actually grow stuff and have their animals and, and all that because they're self-sufficient. Okay. Um, or, or some of them were on the side of the road. See, some of the babies, I, I was really, I was very surprised and just, it actually, it saddened me to see that were actually babies lying on the side of the road and maybe looked after by the elders of the village. They were, they were see, even cooking on the side of see, the road. See, yeah. this was incredible. I'd never seen that before. You know, very, very little animals, babies, animals. I think the, the, the most touchy one was our first mission when we came to the NGO, the German, yes. and this old man there and Mr. Solution, we nicknamed Mr. Solution because he's got a great heart and working his his head out there, trying to help everybody. And he, this, look, this, this man here is a 70-year-old man and uh, he's been three days in the tent. Nobody is willing to take him up to, to his uh, little village, to his house. He had like two, uh, four shopping bags and a five-litre bottle of, of oil. And as soon as that, the, he, was, he was really infected on his uh, ankle. Yeah, yeah, and Jane, Jane and Sonia uh, looked at him, 
clean the clean clean the injury up, the wound, and yeah. we promised we promised him that tomorrow because we went there just getting permission the EEA international were getting everything like our passports uh, documentation reporting uh, our our assistance over there so all that was done in in, in that day we promised that man tomorrow at 10 o'clock in the morning we're taking you home he said, okay, not even the military would take us up tomorrow we're coming here it was 10 o'clock the following day 11 12 1 we went there uh, people may be thinking oh, these these people are talking so we arrived at quarter past one more or less Venga, come on. He was dressed up in white, eh? Yeah. The pobrecito. Yeah, yeah. In white. And we took him up. It was 26 kilometers from that top village to his to his uh, little hometown. When we got there, pff, the people, uh, like, clapping, uh, blowing us kisses, smiles. And... Uh, we did break, break down in tears we, because yeah, yeah. The, the old man didn't expect to see his home so devastated. Yes. That, and to know after by the villagers that his whole family had died. I mean, it all made us all cry. We were uh, all yeah, crying. Yeah, yeah. Kevin, yeah. it was really uh, hard with that. His neighbours, like, yeah, get, get my name out. They think sí. that we were sí. three, three. I couldn't understand. Three. It was the, th the three service... family members. Do you speak some Arabic? Kevin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could defend them. Yeah, sí, he times, could defend like... himself really well. Yeah. I mean, the, team, the service provided by our team, Jonathan, comes from the heart. And as we all know, Gibraltar is well known for its worldwide for its uh, generosity and compassion. And the team organized, and I want to mention the names because I mean they deserve it. Uh, Sonia Fortuna, brilliant nurse, over 60. Leila Babed, a translator. Charlie Bishop, Kevin Parodi Salsa, Fabian Pereira, Ingrid Gano, Adam Bradford, fantastic mechanic. Uh, Daniel Oliver, who did the paperwork in Gibraltar. Eli Mann, uh, Lili Perez, last you. The Fabian, Fabian. And Fabian Pereira, as you have mentioned, it is instrumental to work together. It's not about egos or which NGO you belong to. It's about getting together to do more for other people. You know, the egos are let, left aside and we work together as a team. And as I always say, teamwork makes the dream work. And we can work together collectively and actively to be able to provide funds and resources to people in need. Uh, Jane, I think people who have um, followed your sort of charity work know that uh, that you have a big heart and that uh, that you sort of uh, spend a lot of time and effort helping other people. But um, y even you must have been a little bit overwhelmed by, by yes. what you saw in Marrakesh and, and the, the level of destruction and yes. the challenges facing so many thousands of people there. See, it was very difficult, you know, especially to see whole families, the homes completely destroyed i mean i remember we we took some, we handed the children in the villages okay, it was kevin's idea our idea to take some lollipops and balloons and footballs, footballs. amongst other things verdad mm -hmm. and the smile jonathan and joy yeah, the yeah. smile and the joy on those children's faces was priceless remember that these children had undergone a very very dramatic experience they've lost their parents they've lost their siblings and the village welcomed us with open arms you could the see great the, the... hospitality with the, within those people i mean i've never seen that before with you... the little they had but that the yeah, little yeah, they would yeah. share yeah. You know, and, and it they, was they great. were cracking the almonds just to give us a tea, the we little bit of bread, invited. honey. Yeah, Every time we tea. delivered, uh, we on a mission, we had, and that is uh, their culture. 
Yeah. They, they, uh, so you have to sit down and have a, a you tea have to with spend them. a bit of time with them. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we were talking about the importance of bringing a smile um, uh, to, in particular, the young people affected by this devastating earthquake, uh, and not just bringing a smile, but I suppose keeping hope alive. No. Yeah. It, it was like I was mentioning before to you. Uh, Getting the the footballs, getting those kids in w within a minute or two, getting the the smiles of them, their fathers, their families, seeing those kids uh, smiling, automatically everybody was smiling. As soon as everybody was smiling, then the, our next step was just to start delivering the goods that we were taking, the provisions like the food, the mattresses, blankets, <laughs> and our star of the show, Jane. Jane was playing games with the kids, and eh, Jane. Yes. It was very emotional. See, eh? With Sonia, with Sonia, we did some nursery rhymes. We played, we danced with the kids, and it was very, very touching. I mean, the the psychological impact of such upheaval for young people must be massive. It. What I noticed, Jonathan, was that although the children were young, in their eyes, you would see the eyes of a forty or fifty year old. And the oh. sadness. The sadness. The sadness see, inside. Yeah. See, it, it was incredible. The verdad, it was incredible. Uh, and um, I mean, did did that get to you guys at times? Well, is, is, is this the reason why we want to go back? Uh, and we're going back on November the third, and Jane will give you the details of that. But uh, we're going back on November the third because we did promise many of those children and some of their adults and parents that we would come back and visit them and with certain things. And I think, the, the, and that's what we're going to do. You know, before the winter break, before the winter comes in and hits us hard. It was so. It'll be the last visit before winter. Uh, and we heard uh, Kevin mention there uh, blankets, uh, mattresses, among other things. Uh, you guys drove down with th those no. donations from Gibraltar? No, or? no, no, no. That that was uh, provided by the NGO, the German contact that uh, lasts from the EEA. Because I think at the end of the day, he was very professional. He knew what he, what he was doing. I, at the beginning, we had a couple of meetings here in Gibraltar, and I couldn't understand many things that he was saying. But f uh, as the days go past, I, I could see, because we, we used to go up on the mission, and why is he again? He was making contacts, opening doors, and, and, and creating a, a, a good structure on the base there. At the end of the day, they brought a container, they, they provided us to create a, a clinic, that he assessed on how it was run. So that part was very, very professional. Our part was more of hands-on, of hands -on, big hearts, and that's that was the difference between the two sides. But I think we did a little, uh, well, a little, no, a big teamwork, because uh, as I mentioned before, when we took that old, old uh, man to the village, Bells rang and and people were talking over there within the society because on the second or third day we were called from base. We had to come down. Why? Because a family member from the king was there and he wanted to meet us, and he told us. Amazing. He told us after after a couple of days. He told me. He said, "Look, Gibraltar is a sm small country, but you've got a big, big heart and you've got a lot of courage." Because he knew where we took this man, where we got to. Only helicopters to get the, the cops out of the place and drop tents. Nobody had gone there again. Were there, so the drivers were experienced? 
I was driver. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I've been uh, 35 years uh, going on my 4x4 alone, but I think the, 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 the drivers and the professionalism was uh, Fabian from the extreme club and Adam, Adam, anything that uh, happened, he was already, it was happening and he was thinking how to fix it. Great mechanics. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, we had an occasion, an incident in which we were at a petrol station that's right, yeah. and when we uh, went back to the car, and set off on the road, the battery, we noticed that the battery set in flames. And then it was because somebody had stabbed the um, the battery with um, a, screwdriver. a screwdriver. Probably at the, at the petrol station where we filled up, actually. And we thought, why? Why would somebody do that? But maybe, I mean, we're only guessing uh, that somebody might have done that because then we would have had to return to the petrol station to buy a battery. <laughs> So right. they knew that we couldn't do without it. So before we left, it actually caught fire when we were up in the mountains already and they had to stop and they fixed it within, what, 10 Min minutes or minutes. something because they, they, they had two batteries. They were able Incredible. to continue with one. They, for me, they were instrumental in this mission. Yeah, without they, them, it wouldn't have been yes, possible. Yes. And like I said, it was we took we moved from the assessment mission, which obviously EAI uh, did a fabulous job, like Kevin said, but we were, were more hands-on. We were taking action. They were more of an assessment mission. Yeah, yeah. So it worked well together. We worked very well together. You had the, the head and the heart yes, combining. Yes, exactly. Huh? So, exactly. So the EEA International is a registered non-profit organization in Europe and abroad. And they are sort of uh, coordinating efforts, helping to, prov to provide some uh, structure uh, to um, support in Morocco. Uh, and they uh, describe themselves as European quality services in remote places worldwide. And um, and I've just logged on to their homepage, and I can see that you guys are all pictured uh, on it. I don't know if you knew this. <laughs> but, uh, oh, we hadn't ah, that's with the oh, right. health minister. With the health minister of, of Morocco. Morocco. That, yeah. we, we saw that before going to the, the affected village. We had a meeting, as, as uh, I was telling you. We were getting permits, visiting top authorities. We went even to the main store of the military yeah, where, the, where they used to distribute to the other four. Uh, That's right. I mean, we got a lot of attention there precisely because we were cooperating with EAI and other NGOs. And because we had the 4x4s, which stood out at, at the base camp, we were able to contact the military, for example, the military in the area. The supreme commander of the area also came to visit us. Um, we uh, contacted an American NGO where they were supplying food. Most, most of the workers and the volunteers were actually Mexican. So there we were in Morocco, suddenly Me Mexicans were so there talking to us in Spanish. Effort, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were yes. distributing 70,000 meals on a daily basis. This, this, uh, 70,000 meals, meals yes. a day. They were distributing in, uh, through all those uh, trails uh, up the mountains with motorbikes, donkeys, yes. horses, vans, bicycles. Okay, we met uh, quite a we, few. We met on, a few. On, on we met way. a few. Quite a few of them on the yeah, mountain yeah, tracks, yeah. didn't we, sometimes? Amazing. Amazing. It was a, a British NGO managed and directed by the American guy. Right, yes. yeah, yeah. And then yeah, there right, was a, yeah. a, a support team from Mexico uh, that the old man there was... was you the, talked to him, no? Yeah, he was the leader. Give, of, uh, give, give, uh, and all these people nice are volunteers. 
So, yeah. I mean, the Senate is... All these people have left their countries and, and basically volunteered in an NGO, like we did, and, and gone there to live. So, so you, know. you guys did everything you did on a voluntary basis as yes. well? Yes. Oh, yeah, yes, of course. We, yeah. did, say, we did. We did, yeah. We did. I'm part of the Straits of Gibraltar, I mean, yeah. and I'm very proud of it. I mean, I would like to uh, say thanks to Stephen... He was yeah. at office Stephen coordinating, Marine, yeah. coordinating on, a, on a daily basis. On a daily basis. We were from Gibraltar, he was coordinating the whole trip and helping us with the funding and making See. sure we had the sufficient funds and so and on. As we mentioned before, that me and Charlie, we spent about three or four days raising funds, £8,000. We did a numerous cake stalls. The ladies worked very hard during the night baking for two or three days. Yep. And we managed to, to raise those funds. Now, this time... Uh, when we, that we're going on the 3rd of November, we want to say special thanks to the Gibraltar Defence Police and the Royal Gibraltar Police for their kind donations, which will be used in Morocco itself because we want to buy locally to help the, con the economy there. Yeah. So um, Rather than take uh, tables from here, which is one of the things yeah. that we identified they needed because they need work surfaces and cooking surfaces and they're basically living in tents, we thought it might be a better idea to buy tables to source them there in Morocco because then we would have less problems taking stuff over and we're helping the Moroccan economy, which needs help at the moment. Yeah, we're live from Broadcasting House. Uh, we're on 266-200. If you'd like to uh, put a question to uh, Kevin, Jane or Charlie uh, about their uh, relief efforts in Marrakesh, we've got one question here from Bev. Uh, who says she has great admiration for the tremendous work done by you guys, uh, and she wants to know what you think, what psychological help will be given um, to to help those people deal with the horrors and loss that they have experienced. And Bev says in particular she's thinking of the young people mm. in those mountainous villages or, or communities that, that you referred to. Uh, thank you, Bev, for your question. Well, you could, you could see, for example, we, we visited a school up in the mountains which had crumbled. Yes. And Jane, uh, Sonia, the retired nurse, and myself, we all three of us went into the building. Through the um, window. Through the, through the window. window. I mean, you've got to remember, you have to be a bit careful because you think that there could be another tremor, especially just after an earthquake. There could be an another tremor and an earthquake at the same time. The building itself. And the, it. could, the building could crumble at any point, you know, because you could see the cracks and everything. But it was, uh, as a retired teacher, from a, my perspective, it was very sad to actually go into a school where you still had the blackboard, books, the desks, but the, all the walls around it had crumbled, you know. And, claro. uh, I think uh, it's a very de uh, delicate situation because what we heard that the, the King of Morocco was thinking of like giving them another location where they could do work with a little bit of agriculture and build up new lives, but... I think people don't want to leave their 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 place, their home. No. They want to stay where they live. That's the, that's why. So you, it's, you, it's it, a difficult situation. It does cross your mind when you're there. You think, why would people like want to live so high up in a mountain where they've got nothing, none of the facilities and all that? But then on the other hand, when you actually saw them, how happy they were, and maybe they've got a river a bit further down, and they've got they're growing beautiful, their fruits and veg and their animals. Place, yeah. Yeah. And you think, I wouldn't mind living. <laughs> Perhaps I want I to leave the world behind. That you know, connectedness with nature. Exactly. And uh, going back to your question, Jonathan, about the psychological help, at the moment we, they have none. They're no. getting, at the moment, that it's a recovery. 
No. There about, are some agencies helping be, out and organizing games. It's going to be a slow process. A very yeah. slow exactly. Process. It's going to be a very slow yeah. process. The initial work was very quick. You know, the, the Moroccan government cleared the roads. They've got fresh water. They, they, they were given alternative accommodation in the form of tents and all that. But having said that, now they're kind of a bit like isolated you know it's up to them or, or anybody else helping them other agencies who might actually start uh, setting up some community uh, events and activities you know like we saw it's, some it's, people some it's NGOs be, playing football it's with gonna them. be very difficult but it's, it's difficult. gonna be very difficult like i mentioned before about the 70 thousand meals now i think they're they come down to about 25 25 thousand meals so that's that's a good sign that provisions are, are filtering are getting to the place people need to be self-sufficient as self-sufficient yeah, as exactly. possible no? what yeah. about what about the, the the example i had three empty bottles of water yes. at the very top and I told Rashid, give the bottle, the empty bottles to... Uh, empty bottles, they are empty. They go, they've got nothing. Those three empty, simple bottles of water, they could go down to the river, fill it up, and have water in the tents. Something that we don't... It uh, brings uh, new value to things that we don't give value to. Yes. Even the medical gloves, I mean, Sonia Fortuna, one of the nurses, we ran out of balloons, Jonathan, and what we did is we, we thought, well, what can we give them? Because there were so many, so we blew up this... Uh, we blew up surgical see, gloves. And, uh, and the <laughs> smile on their face, I mean, there's some photos, I think, the smile on their faces, so they're happy with anything, anything with anything yeah, you yeah. give them. And that is what really does the help that they're getting, trying to go to the villages, um, engage with them. We are very you proud. We put are a very smile proud. on their faces. Bring a smile to their face. Yeah, That's what the children need. We are very proud of what we've done. And it's uh, very little, eh? Compared to the the, the, the the area, the amount of people, thousands of people affected, we've done very little, but yeah. we are very proud. And well, I've got a question, if I can, Kevin, before we yeah. have to wrap up, uh, from Matt, who's asking, are you guys going to return? And if so, how can he and other people in Gibraltar help? Well, right, when we, we, we are fundraising at the moment for our next trip because, we, uh, you know, the petrol for the 4x4s, it, it does see, cost a lot of money. Can I mention, um, and obviously we passed a question to Kevin, which was his question, but can I mention that on Tuesday we have had very short notice. We are having a, organising a Halloween party at Bruno's. The cost is £20. 15 will go to, to the charity, but exclusively, the money raised will be exclusively for petrol because... It is a, it's money that is needed, and I mean, it does... It costs it, to, it costs. to maintain, to have the people there, accommodation, uh, eating, uh, in the, even if you are voluntary, but then you need some Just expenses. So there. You, go, you, can, you can either buy a ticket for the Halloween party, or you could donate money, which we would also okay. very uh, much welcome. looking for £800, um, to be honest. People, are look, people who are interested can, can uh, buy those tickets by going to... We'll have a poster and we'll have tickets um, as from today, okay. this evening. And the posters will be at Bruno's. We'll leave some tickets there and they're more than welcome to come and buy the tickets there. Okay. Uh, cl closing thoughts because we're practically out of time. Uh, don't mind who wants to go first, but uh, in Kevin. short, your, your closing thoughts, Kevin? Well, I, uh, I'm very proud and the only thing is the, the Morocco Atlas, as I'm a member of the Morocco Atlas and the Gibraltaric, they couldn't attend. Okay, they've gone this week now, and they've, uh, because they had an organised trip, so they couldn't help us out when we went last they month. Set out yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. So now they are there, and Jebel Sharika going end of the week. So pity 
that they couldn't come on the first set, but eh, slowly we build up. I still uh, Straits of Gibraltar's got an account. People can donate money there, and we'll keep on helping as we can. Now okay. it's going to be very bad because the weather is going to be. That's why we want to go See, before, before it actually. Before the snow falls and the landslides. Before it gets colder See. and snow comes in and okay. so on. Uh, time for uh, a sentence each, if you don't mind, Charlie and Jane, your closing thoughts? I'd just like to thank everybody who's donated money, and we welcome that, and please, if you can carry on helping us, we'll put it to good use when we go again November the 3rd. I would like to thank um, everybody who's donated, especially Bastadoni, the, the police, as I mentioned before, the RGP and the Gibraltar Defence Police, and I also this yesterday we received around 500 woolly hats and 500 gloves from Isola Bella. I'm really grateful for that because that is what they need. They need warm clothing. It's going to be a very cold and harsh winter and uh, we can't forget them. You know, they're there and it's going to be very cold. Please keep on giving. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar Today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand.